Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, welcome to the podcast, episode number 113 for February 21st, 2011. My guest today is Aubrey Daniels, PhD. He is the founder and chairman of Aubrey Daniels International, and he is the world's foremost authority on applying the scientifically proven laws of human behavior to the workplace. For more than 30 years, Aubrey and his colleagues have helped the world's leading organizations employ the timeless principles of behavioral science to re-energize the workplace, optimize performance, and achieve lasting results. Aubrey is the author of five best-selling books, including Bringing Out the Best in People, How to Apply the Astonishing Power of Positive Reinforcement, and most recently, the book we're talking about today, called Safe by Accident, Take the Luck Out of Safety, Leadership Practices to Build a Sustainable Safety Culture, and the co-author is Judy Agnew. So in today's discussion, I think lean thinkers and students of Dr. Deming both will recognize a lot of the ideas that we'll talk about and that are in the book, including the idea that blaming and punishing individuals does not improve safety in an organization, and that managers have to proactively manage the process rather than just reacting to specific safety incidents. So you can find notes on this post and comment if you go to leanblog.org slash 113. And you can find all past episodes at leanpodcast.org. Aubrey, I want to thank you for taking time to join us today on the podcast. Thanks for being here. It's my pleasure. Now, Aubrey, can you start by introducing yourself to the listeners um, about your um, academic and professional background, um, studying human behavior and organizations, how it led you um, to writing this book? Well, I began my work uh, uh, after being at the University of Florida, where I got a Ph.D. in clinical psychology and first started working in the clinical area in mental health um, and uh, gradually moved into uh, consulting because I had to make a living, and uh, state salaries didn't cause you to make a very good living. Um, first started in the area of did some work in uh, education and uh, then uh, in business, um, my first exposure was basically uh, helping um, firms deal with uh, issues of absenteeism turnover back in the 70s. Uh, I've been doing this a long time. I, I've uh, probably been involved in this uh, more or less full time for about the last 45 years. So I'm not a newcomer uh, to the field by any stretch, but I I, we got into safety really as a result of um, work we were doing uh, where we were trying to help companies improve production quality and cost, and um, safety would always be involved uh, in that process. And uh, one of the things that you discover, um, like many things that organizations do, is that the practices that uh, uh, they use are not always uh, scientifically based. Uh, they come from more from experience than, uh, you know, what they know from a scientific perspective. And a lot of things seem to make sense uh, at one level, but, uh, you know, don't really hold up to scientific scrutiny. So all the books that I've written uh, are uh, from the uh, standpoint of behavioral psychology. Uh, behavior analysis is the academic field uh, supporting this and where most of the research is done. So uh, I've come to safety, uh, you know, uh, through that particular, uh, down that particular road. And um, 
and now we're highly highly involved. Not we do more than safety, but safety is a big part of our work. Okay. And you know the title of the book, "Safe by Accident," and you know, it implies certain things. And you write about this early in the book: the idea that um, good results don't necessarily mean that there's um, the right process and the right culture for safety in place. That that maybe companies are just being lucky for a period of time. Is that fair to say? Right. Exactly. You know, it's like uh, I guess most people are aware by now that. Uh, the day the uh, BP rig exploded, they were celebrating seven years of that lost time accident. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, you got to figure um, something was going on for seven years that wasn't exactly like it was supposed to be. And um, after seven years, it caught up with them. And uh, this is a problem. You know, I, I basically said that many organizations, the better you get at what you do, the more at risk you become because you're not paying attention to behavior and and people are doing things that are unsafe, and although each individual act has a low probability, when you accumulate them, uh, it uh, you know produces a certainty of uh, some kind of a disaster. And uh, we're seeing that happen all over the place. Now, in the case of the BP accident, uh, it, in, in your research here, is it fair to say that with that seven years track record, um, it wasn't just one day's bad practice or one day's unlucky occurrence that led to this, that there was kind of an, an ongoing set of practices that would have given you pause, even though the results were still looking good, as you said? Absolutely. Absolutely. In other words, there are many things that go on every day that are, are unsafe, but in and of themselves have a low probability of producing an accident. And, um, you know, if, you were, if you've been on the rig, uh, you know, from a safety perspective, I think you might have seen uh, many of these things happening, and and uh, they would uh, say, well, uh, nope, don't worry about that. Uh, we'll let that go this time, but don't do it again next time. Do it right. That that sort of a culture. I, you know, I wasn't there, so I don't know that that mm-hmm. that's what happened. But I'm I'm I've seen lots and lots of places where that is is in fact what happens. Sure. Now, in, in the book, you talk about a number of fairly common practices. I, I think you categorize them as. You know, th- actions and things that companies do that actually don't improve safety. One of those is the idea of punishing people um, after the fact. So can you talk about that? You know, why, why do companies think that that would work, and, and why does punishing people um, likely create more harm than good? Well, it, um, uh, it, it's, a, it's a strange thing, but um, we, we run across this all the time, that whenever there's an accident, management feels that they need to do something. And punishing seems to be the thing that they jump to. Now, you can demonstrate to your boss, you can tell somebody, you know, I chewed them out, I read a ride act, you know, I fired somebody, I did these things. Um, in reality, what that does is uh, it doesn't really cause people to be safer. What it does is cause people not to report accidents or incidents. You, you don't want to report near misses. Uh, you don't, uh, um, in some cases, don't even want to report uh, something that may reflect badly on what somebody else has done because you know the negative consequences of doing that. You see, punishment, if you think about punishment, what it does is uh, you know, physically it, it shortens muscle fibers. And what that does uh, physically is to uh, cause you to be less uh, um, uh, reactive. Uh, you know, you, you, you're tenser. Uh, so from a physical standpoint, you're not as safe as you would be if you're more relaxed. Uh, 
uh, and certainly it has a psychological effect as well. Is there a time, I mean, from what you found, um, you know, I know we're talking generally, a time where punish might, might be appropriate? I mean, if you're looking at a situation that's like, you know, a willful violation of um, a practice, I mean, th there's maybe still some gray area involved here. I mean, what, what are some, uh, is there ever a time where punishment might be appropriate? Could you maybe give us an example? Um, well, I've always had a problem with willful violations in terms of how you determined if something was willful. Uh, what's the difference between willful and just ignorant? You know, uh, you just didn't know any better. But, uh, you know, somebody that does something that you would consider deliberate, you know, much like, uh, you know, you see a child do something to deliberately defy the parent. My, my take on that is you need to fire them. You know, in, in other words, if, if they're, to use our lingo, if they're reinforcing history is such that that is reinforcing to them to, to demonstrate some dissatisfaction with something, you know, by uh, sabotage or something else, then you need to get rid of them. Um, but um, apart from that and, and, and something where somebody is, uh, you know, accidentally moving into harm's way, where you yell at them to cause them to stop doing something, I can't think of many places where we would, uh, we would use punishment. Not, not punishment, I, I'm talking, when I use punishment here, I'm talking about punishment for doing something unsafely. Right. Because, because what happens is when you have an accident, I mean, you're getting consequences that will reduce the probability you'll do that again. So what, what does management add to that? So I mean, sort of the idea of, like, if you touch a hot stove, you tend to learn touching hot stoves are a bad thing, right? Yeah, nobody needs to punish you after that. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, you know, when you remember when you did that as a child, your, your parents would say, see, see, I told you. Right. <laughs> you don't have to, they don't have to jump on you and, and, uh, and chastise you for it. They just say, no, don't do that again. It'll hurt you. And uh, so, so the, the whole idea is to cause people, if they have an accident, to want to learn how to, to change that behavior so that they won't do it again in the future. Mm -hmm. so, and so, uh, punishment yeah. never does that. Yeah. And so in lieu of punishment, so you talk about the desire you know, for managers to say, well, you know, we, we did something. We're taking action. Uh, in, in the book, you talk about things that, that companies can do, managers can do, that maybe actually lead to problem solving and, and prevention. Um, what, what are some alternatives to that punishment route if, you, if you've got to go do something then? Well, the, 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 the best way to do that, of course, is to develop a culture that's rich in positive reinforcement, and that is that, that we don't wait until somebody does something wrong uh, to act, to spring into action. And this is what you see in safety all the time. It's a reactive uh, kind of a system not a proactive system, although many companies do have things they do proactively. You know, uh, management seems to, to come to life more when there's been an accident than they do, uh, you know, in terms of day-to-day -day activity. So what we want to do is that we want to make sure that when people are doing things safely, when they're going to the trouble, to go through all the steps or, or process of procedures that we've put in place, that we... we tend to track that in some way to let them know how well we're doing. Uh, we want to to uh, think of a safe environment as one where people are doing things safely 100% of the time. So we need to, we need a way to track that, and that involves uh, getting out and uh, observing people while they're working and seeing uh, how, how safely they perform uh, their activities. 
and we can track that, and then we can celebrate it, and we can provide positive reinforcement for it. And once you do that, you find that we can develop habits in people where, where the, the safe thing is a more difficult thing to do, but they take some sense of pride in doing it. And that only comes from a history of reinforcement, positive reinforcement. And when you're looking for positive things, um, is it fair to say that you're looking for positive practices, not just positive outcomes, as, as, as in you know, zero injuries? You're, you're looking for the practices that would lead to a continuation of zero injuries, is that right? Yes, that's exactly right. And what this means is, you know, you, you've got to look at behavior. The, the incident rates really tell you what happened. And what we know about change of behavior is delayed consequences have little effect on it. And uh, so uh, an incident rate is a poor measure of how well somebody is, in fact, uh, doing their work in a safe manner because you can't see behavior looking at a number on a chart. So uh, we very much uh, focus on what people are actually doing. Are they lifting something the way they're They've talked to that. Standing away from the line of fire, or you know, all of these sorts of things are what we want to see when we go out. Uh, and uh, numbers on a chart will never tell you any of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, unless, no, you know, unless the num unless the number is actually tracking a behavior. Ah, okay. Um, would, would that include um, I don't know, like percent? You know, look at wearing you know personal protective equipment. I mean, would would that be is that a practice yeah. that you're just looking to observe for, or might you measure? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, our, you know, the using PPE. You know, when you go out, uh, you know, what what does it look like? Do people wear their glasses? Uh, do they have proper footwear? You know, uh, headwear, whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, but those are things that uh, that we look for, actual things that happen. Now, one of the things that people organizations like to do, and and, and they would think maybe this is positive reinforcement, is the idea of incentives. And I, I think anyone. Any of my listeners that are familiar with the teachings of Dr. Deming would know his stories about, you know, the dysfunctions that come from, you know, having incentives around zero injuries, that people started hiding their injuries just so they could yeah. catch the bonus. And, and you write about this in your book. Can you talk about what some of the problems are um, with trying to use um, incentive programs, incentive payments yeah. for improving safety? Well, see, here's the problem. Uh, money or incentives are are powerful reinforcers, can be. And the problem is because they're so desirable uh, by most people, people will do whatever they have to do to get it. And uh, most systems that we see are designed in such a way that you don't have to do things in the proper way to get the incentive. In other words, uh, you could you could uh, um, not wear your personal uh, protective equipment and uh, not have an accident. So, if you if you put an incentive on not having access that particular day, then you would get it. Um, this is the thing like uh, something like safety bingo, which I I just uh, I, I don't understand why companies still buy things like this. <laughs> safety bingo is is where uh, you know you you pull a number every day you don't have that the company doesn't report an accident. Yeah, you know you get a B or something whatever, and uh, and so you end up giving away money, but it has nothing to do with safety, nothing. Because we're looking at results, not behaviors. And the whole thing about behavior-based safety, uh, and a lot of people are calling what they do behavior-based safety, but you have to be looking at behavior. You have to have people looking at behavior, and that's where the incentive would go. I mean, I wouldn't have a problem with people paying people to do things in a safe way, you know, uh, out on the floor. But but when you when you pull that back from uh, the actual behavioral 
content of it, then that's where you begin to have a problem. So it's not that money money is not something that's desirable or something that could be used, but it's problematic to use it. Mm-hmm. One of the final things, uh, one of the final things I'd like to touch on here, you know, when we have a few minutes left, um, is is something we've talked about on this podcast and on my blog is the idea of using checklists uh, in, uh-huh. in healthcare, the practice from aviation. Um, uh, Dr. Gawande's book, um, you know, was pretty popular, right. and this is the thing a lot of hospitals are experimenting with. Can you yeah. can you talk about the idea of the cultural aspects that are required that maybe, you know, just the checklist itself being present um, in some sort of right. maybe superficial way isn't enough to really prevent errors. Right. And, uh, you know, I wrote a little something about that, uh, I think, on my blog. But, you know, uh, I think I titled something like uh, a checklist never saved a life. Um, people save lives. Mm-hmm. And doctors and nurses and, you know, healthcare people are the ones that do that. And I've been around hospitals long enough to know that uh, many of them are still very authoritarian, and uh, mm-hmm. you know you don't want to, you don't want to correct the physician, and and uh, you may put something on a checklist that didn't even happen, you know, because you don't want to get in trouble yourself. And so it's the culture that goes on around that that uh, determines how effective those things are. And um, if you don't have a positive reinforcement culture, uh, uh, you know, in terms of your interactions with the team that's using the checklist then it becomes a perfunctory thing and uh, often doesn't reflect reality. And that, that's the real problem. I think checklists are very helpful in terms of making sure that you didn't miss something or uh, that you uh, follow the proper uh, proper steps. But, but um, uh, whether you're reinforced to punish for uh, that, those activities, you know, uh, end up determining the value of the checklist. Uh, and uh, I've, I've just seen too many environments that, and, and uh, many of them in the healthcare industry, you know, where the doctor is king, and uh, you wouldn't uh, do anything to dis- display um, to display uh, um, uh, concern about what he's doing mm-hmm. or she's doing. Yes. And, uh, so, you, so, in other words, a checklist. If, if you if you see the doctor doing something wrong, you're supposed to say, "Doctor, wait," <laughs> you know. And I just I, I know a lot of places where that wouldn't happen. That just wouldn't happen. Yeah. And so, if the doctor or the the, the head of the team does not understand positive reinforcement more than just some superficial uh, kind of an activity, then I think you don't get the value out of those things that you could. I, I'm certainly not an expert on the aviation safety piece. I have a friend here in Texas who's a pilot and, and does some of this training with hospitals. And I know from talking to him, they put quite a bit of emphasis, as they had in the AV industry, aviation industry, of trying to break down some of that extremely hierarchical environment um, that, that people right. could speak up. Yes. Well, you know, it exists in, their, in the airline industry, too. You know, the captain is, captain is, the, is the person, and uh, you get a uh, junior uh, officer in there, they're unlikely to, sometimes to question him as well. And uh, so it's not, uh, not just in the healthcare industry that you have this. I, we write in the book a little bit about some uh, airline problems uh, with that. So you but, think that uh, mindset is still, I mean, it's probably impossible to completely drum that out of an industry. I mean, this is, you know, you've got people involved and we're complex um, creatures. Right. There's, there's still some of that that exists, do you think? I, I, I think I think it's changing. I think, you know, the world is changing in that regard. I think the world, uh, you know, um, if I can speak of the world, is, uh, you know, seeing that uh, it's just not a good way to manage any activity uh, in a 
a way that will keep everybody competitive and that, uh, that negative consequences, you know, really don't add much uh, to the way the business runs. You know, sort of like in some industries we've talked about, well, in order for things to change, somebody's going to have to die. And I think there are a lot of old-line uh, pilots or, or doctors or that they're going to have to, you know, before it's totally eliminated, you know, they're going to have to retire. Now, when you talk about positive reinforcement, I know you've written previous books um, on that topic. And so maybe back just um, one final thing on, on the checklists. When we yeah. talk about focusing on process, reinforcing when you see people doing the, the, the right thing, I, I would presume, or maybe you can fill in some more detail around this, that if your hospital was using um, the checklist in the OR, the worst thing you could do would be to just react after the fact when there was some sort of error because somebody wasn't following the checklist. That, right, how how right. would you apply those principles of positive reinforcement um, to a setting like that? Well, certainly uh, one thing would be that uh, the team would acknowledge uh, how they're doing it right. You know, it's, it's, it's not unlike, it's not foreign to us, you know, to think about, you know, and you see, you see athletes all the time, you know, giving people high fives when they completed mm -hmm. a move or, or done something well. Um, and it's not unlike that in, a, in, a, in the OR. You would expect that people would acknowledge that, hey, that was right on. It was just on time. It was done exactly the right way. And then the other way is just to track the results of the uh, checklist. In other words, let's, let's see if we can, uh, you know, get this to 100%. Let's see how long we can keep it at 100%. And we can have an opportunity to celebrate, you know, these kind of accomplishments. But they're all tied directly to people doing the right things in the right way at the right time. Well, Aubrey, that, that's great stuff, and, and I've certainly appreciated having the chance to read your book, Safe by Accident. Uh, I certainly encourage um, the listeners to go find that on uh, Amazon or their favorite bookstore. And your website, Aubrey, it's aubreydaniels.com. Is that right? That, that's it. It's real easy. Yeah, aubreydaniels.com. And I'm, I, have, I have a blog, aubreydanielsblog.com, if you want to come see, read some of my nonsense. That'd be good, too. Okay, well, good. I'll encourage everyone to check that out and um, take a look at what you and your consulting group um, are doing over there. So, Aubrey, I want to thank you. Uh, it was a pleasure to talk to you, and um, I want to thank you for writing this book and uh, sharing a little bit about that book with us today. I certainly appreciate your interest, and I, I enjoyed talking to you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.